welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Hey, it's great to be here and great also to be sitting in a box full of puppies. You know, one of the things that's wonderful about a new life beginning is the new chance of promise. And when you get a new puppy, you get a new rescue dog, or you get a puppy from, uh, you know, from a, a good, reputable breeder, it's nice because, you know, typically you look at things and you say, wow, this is great. And we measure things in terms of, oh, it was the same time as we got the dog, or it was the same time as, you know, Max's birthday. And dogs are really more a part of the family than ever, and especially since COVID, which, you know, we all know and hate. Um, since we started with COVID, it really is um, amazing how many people have gotten dogs, some people who maybe shouldn't have gotten dogs, but people who have gotten dogs and have finally understood what all of us crazy dog people have been talking about for years. So I'm sitting in a box of newborn Rhodesian Ridgeback puppies, and they are just gorgeous. They're just all perfect, and we know that each of them will live a long time, and we know each of them will have a great temperament, and they will be consistent, and they'll be a certain size and shape and color and and live a certain amount of time and have a certain temperament, and that's really important. Um, If you're going to get a dog who is a purebred grand champion champion show line, you're going to have a really good idea of what that dog is going to be. But I do want to talk for today a little bit about some of the people who have the mixed breed dogs um, that we're now starting to call these cute names. Um, But it's funny because I've had, I can't even tell you how many people who buy one of those dogs and they say like, I'm really disappointed. My dog was only supposed to be seven pounds and he's 40 pounds. Um, there was a lady, she was sweet, she had a lab poodle mix, and she said, oh, you know, he's a great dog, so it's an F1, so it's not, you know, whatever, low shedding, he sheds like like heck, but she says, oh, he's a really good dog, I really love him, So, but he's 70 pounds, so I want to get a mini, because there are people who are breeding minis, so these you can get a mini of that, so she got a mini, and he turned out to be 90 pounds. And she's a client of mine. And she asked me, she says, how is it possible that I they bred a, a mini poodle or a toy poodle to this, you know, lab, and they've got a 90-pound one when it was a toy poodle as the father? That's called incomplete dominance. It means that it can be either very big or very small, and it can also come through pretty much anywhere. That's the difference between these people who are breeding mixed-breed dogs, not that there's anything necessarily wrong until they get into the F2, which they call F1B. It's a whole other story. But the fact that you don't know what you're going to get, like Forrest Gump said, right, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Remember, Mama used to always say that, right? And it's true. So when you do get a dog, if you ask the breeder, like the one woman I was talking to today, super, super nice lady, and she said to me, she said, you know, I, they guaranteed that the puppy would be, you know, a small size, somewhere between 15 and 30 pounds. And I said, well, gee, that's like if I say your daughter's either going to be 5 feet tall or 10 feet tall. That's a big difference to go from 15 to 30 pounds. Well, what's 30 pounds? Maybe it's going to be 40 or 50. So if you're hung up on the size of a dog and you definitely want something that fits into that, 
go to an AKC show breeder, preferably show breeder of merit, which means that they have gone through very stringent restrictions and regulations to get into that. And what's nice about it is if you have somebody who's breeding for quality, for show dogs, yeah, you don't have to get a show dog, but the pet quality are going to be way better than anything you're going to get anywhere else. So think about this, that if you want a dog and you say, I want a dog who's no more than eight pounds, and you get a mixed breed, just remember, you never know. Like I saw a Maltese uh, Yorkie mix the other day that they, I mean, a Maltese is like, you know, eight pounds, nine pounds, maybe a, a big one. And the, the father, like a Yorkie, let's say, is four to maybe six pounds. They're small dogs, um, seven pounds. But when you breed them together, you don't always get small. You could have, like, this Morkie was like 30 pounds, and that's what it is. It, they can't eat it. It was a 30-pound Maltese Yorkie. Well, that's crazy. But people who are breeding mixed-breed dogs, unfortunately, can't guarantee anything because you can't guarantee genetics. So if you want to get a, a particular dog, think about the breed and try to imagine that the breeder, a legitimate, reputable, good, true breeder, not in quotation marks, breeds to better his breed. So if you think like, oh, I really want a smaller dog, well, there are things like Havanese are adorable. There are things like Cavalier King Charles Spaniels are really good. Now, they do have some heart and eye issues, but they are phenomenal dogs. Uh, Petite Brussels Griffon von Dayan. Uh, schnauzers, and some of the schnauzers are not so snippy, and they're actually quite nice. I know a few people who breed schnauzers. So if you're looking and you say, okay, you know, I want a certain shape, certain size, you're going to go with a purebred dog. Now, if you're going with a purebred dog, don't go to a pet store. And if you're going to a pet store, you probably are going to need me on a personal level because a lot of those dogs, if not many or most of those dogs, either have physical or behavioral issues. Very interesting article today in Psychology Today uh, that I saw, and the article was probably a little older, but it was a, a very interesting article. And what, I, what it basically went into, which is what I want to go through today, is uh, do purebred and mixed-breed dogs show behavioral changes and behavioral issues? So, the, you know, the likelihood of there being issues with behavior, forget about physical things, but just behavior for pure breed versus mixed breed. And again, we're not talking about necessarily rescues, or the, although they are included. If somebody says to you, what's better, a purebred dog that has a definite lineage and genetics behind it, or a mixed breed dog? So we talk about a rescue dog. Rescue dog doesn't mean it's a mutt. There are pure breed rescues. There are wonderful rescues, and you can get a really well-bred dog or just a pet that somebody bred, but you can get those dogs. It's not that hard to find, and you can definitely do that. So uh, which would be better? Well, they in the, uh, psychology today, they went into the fact that what we call it is hybrid vigor. I call it hybrid chaos. So hybrid vigor is the concept that if you – have one dog who is of one breed and another dog who is of another breed, that chances are, if they interbreed, the, the babies of them will have more diverse genetics. Well, that's great. 
because that's a good thing, right? Diversity is good in most cases. It's very good. This is one of those cases. So if we have, let's say, a German shepherd who um, gets impregnated by a poodle, well, shepherds have, God knows, a lot of health issues. Let's call it a shepherd golden, because goldens, even though they're wonderful typically, they have a lot of health issues. So we have a shepherd golden. So the shepherd, let's say, has some aggression issues from its background, and uh, the golden, let's say, has maybe some submissive urination. It's, it's kind of a little fearful, um, whatever that is. Now, so if you breed them together, and let's say whatever diseases like cancers or hip dysplasia, if both of those parent breeds show a certain amount of that trait, let's say they both are positive for hip dysplasia or for von Wildebrand's disease, or for degenerative myelopathy, or whatever it could be, those those parents are still going to have that heredity. They're still going to have the genetic mess because of whatever they came from. So just in, in general, it doesn't matter if you say like, oh, well, if I have a purebred this and a purebred that and I miss them, they're going to be great. Because sometimes you actually get worse. Like, think about it. If you wanted... You know, you have you. Let's say you're going to have children with someone, and you say, "Oh, I love my blue eyes, but I want his shaped face, and I want my shaped nose, and I want his long, thin legs." You know, you may be lucky and get some of those, but you also may end up having, you know, his tiny little beady eyes, and you know, your short, skinny, you know, or or unattractive legs. And you never know what you're going to get. And you can't, you know, kind of select for that. So that's the problem. Now, if you had a family who all had rather long legs and your family also has rather long legs, your chances of having rather long legs are much, much greater than if you have two people from very diverse backgrounds. And it's the same thing. That happens with dogs. The diversity doesn't mean that you're going to get the best of each of those breeds. It means that you could get anything from the well, the really good stuff, or all the way to the really bad stuff. So plenty of dogs who are mixed breed dogs have bad hips, have bad elbow, have bad thyroid, have on Wildebrand because the parent breeds carried it. So crosses are not necessarily... Um, genetically superior, and sometimes they're actually worse because most breeders who are breeding for grand champion show dogs and they're looking to breed more of these well-bred, really healthy, you know, good longevity dogs, we care about that. So we run a lot of genetic tests. But people who are breeding mixed breed dogs, typically it's very unusual, maybe one in a hundred if that, will run any genetic test. So if they're going to run some genetic tests, you know, that's good. But then don't breed if you find what you don't want to know. So Psychology Today goes on to say that the hybrid vigor, and this is a quote directly from Psychology Today, this refers to the idea that mixed-breed dogs have fewer health problems because of a more diversified gene pool. While it is true that certain purebred dogs can show a number of physical problems which are genetically based, the jury is still out on whether mixed-breed dogs are healthier overall. Thus far, the data suggests that mixed-breed dogs can inherit many of the problems associated with each of the breeds that goes into them. 
So the general consensus seems to be that mixed breed dogs are no more or less likely to have health issues than their purebred counterparts. But what about the health behavioral changes and behavioral issues? So they've done a lot of research, and there was a national census that showed that 53% of the dogs in in the United States are mixed breed. So that's rescued mixed breed, or uh, that could be a designer mixed breed. It just means that these are mixed breed dogs. So it could be something that somebody bred, or it could be a backyard breeder, or it could be you know two dogs that just had a fun night. Um, but what's interesting is there are very few scientific studies contrasting the differences of behavior and personality between purebred and mixed-breed dogs. So what they have done is there have been some studies lately in Budapest that was um, in their a journal, a medical journal, veterinary journal there, and it looks like that this was um, a really interesting study with 7,700 purebred dogs representing more than 200 breeds and uh, 7,691 mixed-breed dogs, and they collected it, and then they, because they didn't want it to be skewed because of obviously some breeds are much more popular or plentiful, so they only allowed um, up to 60 of any particular breed um, in the first study and 37 for the second so that they weren't getting, you know, 400 or or, or 1,000 or 2,000 goldens that were going to skew the purebred study. It was very interesting. So what they did is they analyzed all this, and they wanted to figure out, uh, you know, how the difference was that um, why, you know, some it seemed that some temperaments were off. And I've been saying this for years and years and years. So I'm going to quote you here. So to begin with, there were personality differences between the two groups. The mixed breed dogs were significantly less calm, less calm people, than the purebred dogs. Calmness is demonstrated by a dog who is cool-headed and emotionally balanced versus one who is anxious or appears to be stressed. The mixed breed dogs were also considerably less sociable toward other dogs. Sociability is shown in dogs which are judged to be friendly and willing to share toys as opposed to dogs which are apt to be quarrelsome and rated as being bullying. So this very interesting, people. They're saying that mixed-breed dogs, and this goes with rescues, but it goes with all of these designer dogs, too. And I know some of you guys hate me for this, but you're still listening, so that's good. Learn, 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 people. The mixed-breed dogs were also more likely to show behavioral problems. These included dogs that frequently pull on the leash, jump up on people, don't respond when called, show dominance behaviors, and so forth. So there was also, they were going through two other aspects of behavior that were looked at, where purebred and mixed-breed dogs showed little or no difference in terms of trainability, but they were similar in the personality trait called boldness. Um, So, you know, basically what they were able to find, and they believe is that uh, many mixed-breed dogs, for the most part, are a result of random breeding, although, you know, I guess breeding mixed-breed designer dogs is also random breeding because they're just going, oh, I have a a toy poodle that I bought from a pet store, and it's got every disease in the book, um, and I'm going to breed it to this dog that has poor genetics on top of that. And then you have um, purebred dogs, are usually subject to careful breedings, careful and selective breeding, 
people care about what they're breeding. So even if the breeders are most concerned about the appearance of their dogs, they also tend to pay attention to temperament. So that's something that I talk about. Temperament is so, so important. So if the temperament is important, then, you know, we have to look at it and say, okay, the mixed-breed designer dog breeders are not caring about temperament because if they did, they wouldn't be breeding some of the junk they're breeding. You don't take a super fearful or fear-aggressive or dominant-aggressive poodle and breed it to everything because it's going to come through. So it's less likely that an ill-tempered and excitable dog with behavioral problems who's a purebred that will be bred, because this is because in part that breeders know that this will not be good for the breed in general, and also because it's much more likely that a badly behaved dog will be returned to them by the purchaser. To the extent that this is true, it means that the differences between mixed-breed dogs and purebreds could at least be partially attributed to genetic factors. So there are also obviously some, the research team worked on it, and there are obviously a lot of things that also had to do with demographics. A lot of the mixed-breed designer dogs are not first, they're first-time dog owners. They're not people who have had dogs before. They're not people who um, really understand the amount of work. Um, And also, mixed-breed designer dogs and mixed-breed dogs were more likely to be owned by women, and these women tend to be younger, with a lower level of education and had less previous experience with dogs than the owners of purebred dogs. And this does not mean that women are dumb, okay, because, I mean, I'm a woman. I'm definitely not dumb, but I'm also not buying a designer dog. Um, So this is not what I'm saying. This is psychology today based on a um, a lot of research of, 7,000, let's call 14,000 dogs, and a team of very, very uh, seasoned, um, wonderful investigators collecting, um, you know, scientific projects. So another factor is, they say, Psychology Today says, another factor was that mixed-breed dogs tended to receive less formal training than purebred dogs. This is important because the amount of training affected how well the dog scored in terms of calmness and sociability. So... Basically, what they're saying is also that dogs that have received training of some sort were reported to have fewer behavioral issues, which is why I tell everybody is I'm a behaviorist. I know what I'm doing. I fix bad dogs. But people who start out, even if you go to your local pet co or, you know, you have a local obedience trainer and it doesn't have to be somebody who's great, but just somebody who can teach your dog some basics, it's important to get the dog to start understanding that he's got to listen to you. Now, another interesting thing, mixed-breed dogs were also more likely to be the only dog in a household, and they tended to be kept indoors most of the time. And I'll tell you that, and it's the little designer dogs that they don't go outside because people don't want their their feet to get dirty. They use pee pads. They don't go outside. They don't get to socialize. They don't get to see other dogs. They don't get to see other people. Well, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that the fact that you're not taking these dogs outside and they're living like a goldfish in a little bowl, whether your house or apartment is large or small, doesn't matter. But the fact that these dogs are not going out typically means that they're going to suffer from more behavioral issues. So these dogs also tended to be brought into the household at an older age than were purebred dogs. So this fact is important since the researchers found that dogs 
brought into the home at an age of less than 12 weeks were calmer overall. But that doesn't mean your home. It means a home, okay? Um, interesting thing, a further interesting factor was that mixed-breed dogs were more likely to be neutered. And I will add to that that mixed-breed dogs were more likely to be neutered younger or spayed, which is the word is altered. So neutered is only for male, spayed is a female. Altered means for either to be uh, re- the, the gonads to be removed. These investigators, though, found that the dogs who had been spayed or neutered had lower scores on calmness and were were more likely to show behavioral problems, which is what I talk about all the time with when you're spaying or neutering your dogs or when these people are spaying and neutering at five weeks old, six weeks old, two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, because the hormones, the testosterone and estrogen, that are in the body of the dog, help it to become more confident. I've been saying this for 30 years or more. Come on, people, stop spaying and neutering so young. In New York City, you buy a puppy, it's six or eight weeks old, it's already been spayed or neutered. What the heck? That's like take your baby and as soon as the testicles descend, let's let's neuter them, let's whack off his nuts. And let's do the same thing on the girls. Let's take out their ovaries and let's see if they're, you know, let's see how they develop. They're not going to develop properly. That's the Vienna Boys Choir concept there, okay? So it also, interestingly enough, with the fact that the um, dogs who are neutered or neutered young tend to have more behavioral problems, you'll also see this is consistent with other research that shows that neutered dogs are more likely to be aggressive fearful and excitable, more likely, not less likely, because the hormones are there to give the dog confidence. And you take a dog who's a fearful or kind of an uncertain dog, and you take that uncertain dog and whack off his hormones, he's going to become less confident and more reactive. So the research team concluded that there are real differences between mixed breed and purebred dogs in terms of their personality and behavior. And they do believe that these differences are not just simply genetic, but they can reflect the environment in which the dog is raised and the training and the characteristics of the owner. So, you know, when you say this, and this was uh, an article from Psychology Today called Do Purebred and Mixed Breed Dogs Show Behavior Differences? And it's a uh, doctor of whatever uh, science, and a PhD, um, and he, you know, this guy, he, he seems to be a pretty knowledgeable guy, right? So why is it then that we decide we're going to, um, you know, just basically we're going to go get a dog and we're going to do everything wrong, but because, oh, we're wonderful and we're the nicest person in the world and we're going to be the best dog owner ever and we're going to buy our dog all kinds of stupid things and things that it doesn't need, but we're going to do that so the dog is going to be fine. No, it comes down to what we talk about all the time, purpose, energy, respect, connection, and health. It comes down to all of those factors. That is why a dog is going to be the best dog in the world. That is why a dog is going to be well-behaved, well-mannered, why the dog is not going to jump up on people and jump up on children, and why that dog is going to be the best dog in the world. The dogs genetically can have a lot of issues, and if a dog has a genetic issue, 
then you may be stuck with it. But don't think mistakenly that because you get a mixed breed dog, that somehow that guarantees you of having hybrid vigor. That would be if you took two dogs that are completely disparate backgrounds, like you say, like my little Lexi, who's got, I think she had, what, like 12 different things in her? You know, but it doesn't matter for that because she's 20 pounds. But Lexi, who is maybe 18 or 20 pounds, let's say Lexi turned out to be the smallest thing in her was Cocker Spaniel, which Cocker Spaniels are way bigger than Lexi is, but she was like 26% boxer. She was like uh, also um, had a lot of um, Dalmatian in her, and she's this tiny little thing. She didn't have a single breed in her that was the color she is, which is Ridgeback color. And amazingly, even though she has a ridge, she didn't have the genes for rigid, for having a ridge. Well, I don't know. Maybe the DNA was wrong, and I have to go to the other company instead of using the one I used. But I don't know. It kind of makes sense that incomplete dominance, you can get the tiniest, you can get the largest, or you can get anything in between. Complete dominance is it's either black or white. Incomplete dominance is it can be black, white, or any shade of gray in between. And when you're looking at dogs that potentially have behavioral issues, and I'm telling you, I see over and over and over again all the mixed breed dogs with um, like that have poodle in them particularly, they all, again, nobody calls me and says, hey, Janice, I got the best dog in the world. But all of these dogs are poodle mixes that I see, and probably 40% of my business now is either Poodle or Maltese mixed with whatever else it's mixed with. And people don't know that it's not normal, that they, the dog is growling at them or growling at their kids. And they think, oh, well, I'll just leave him alone then because he's growling. And then, you know, the dog is two years old, and you wonder why it bites three children um, at a neighbor's house within, you know, a few hours. It's because the dog is genetically defective. And can I fix that? I can manage it. I can't fix that. A veterinarian can't fix it. Nobody can fix that. You manage it. But the point being, if you went to a a show breeder and you said, you know what, I want to have a cute little poodle cut. You know, poodles are pretty cute. Even if you get the little guys, if you get a purebred like show poodle, you don't have to get the poodle cut. You can just have them, you know, look like whatever. But, you know, they don't have to have that poodle cut. But I think that all these mixed-breed designer dogs with that are poodle mixes or whatever, I think they were all created not by Wally Conroe in 1989 in Australia who was trying to make a, a, a lower-shedding lab for uh, to be a seeing-eye guide dog, um, and he rused the day. And that was also in Psychology Today um, that he rused the day he did that because he opened this floodgate of mixed-breed dogs. But not only that, and he said he would never own one ever, Um, but the problem is that when you have these dogs, you have such grooming bills and, you know, crazy, but I think groomers are responsible for the poodle mixes because, man, I have people, I mean, you got to groom those things every other day. If you get them clipped or or shaved, you got to shave them all the time. I mean, the, the coat, it's a lot of work. I'll stick with my beautiful grand champion, now gold grand champion, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, who 
you know, basically give them a bath twice a year, whether they need it or not. And they don't shed a lot, if at all. And if they do, it's brown hair that falls right, right to the ground. It doesn't make hairballs and things. And they don't have to have $125 or $150 grooming every four, three to four weeks. So, you know, you have to remember that if you're going to get one of these dogs, these dogs are going to really, really need um, a massive, massive amount of work in them. So anyway, um, I'm going to take a break. We're going to go to from shelter dog to service dog in a minute. Um, so please stay tuned and we'll continue with our training. We'll be right back. Oh, I love talking about this part of the show, talking about training your dog to be a service dog. Well, today we're going to talk about some of the things that we've done before, but we're going to do it in a little different way. So think about building confidence in your dog. And this is something that you can use whether you're trying to train your own service dog, whether you're trying to train your own therapy dog, or just for a good puppy or dog. Everything with dogs is built on a relationship, and I call it relationship-based canine behavior training. It's, it's not about a trick. It's not about, you know, bribing your dog or, like, doing things that are going to create an issue later on where the dog decides it doesn't want to do that job anymore because, you know, where's the cookie, right? So when you have a dog, you don't want to start really training that dog Super early. You want to start working with the dog to build up a relationship. Once you have a good relationship with your dog, then you can start asking the dog different parts and to not only continue but do new skills. So how do you build up a relationship? And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's based on connection. And I use when we say purpose, energy, respect, connection, and health in my book, one of my many books, Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101, um, by obviously by Janice Wolf. Um, in that book, it will go through all the ways that you will behaviorally be working with your dog, setting boundaries, teaching the dog what his purpose is, focusing on the energy. Don't stare at your dog, but focus yourself on what your dog is doing and why. If your dog trusts you, if your dog respects you, if your dog says, like in his little doggy language, I love you so much, I trust you, I love you, I respect you, I'll do anything for you, then you will be able to train that dog to do things that nobody else could train it to do, which is the problem when you send dogs to board and train because those people don't have a relationship with your dog. I won't even take a board and train client until I have that dog, that dog is my patient, and I have the dog, and I can know what buttons to press, and then have the family work with the dog, and then I'll take the dog once I know the dog, and the dog is comfortable. Because a board and train is a dangerous place. And I've heard people go, oh, this is the best place in the world. Meanwhile, I know four, place, four people at that place uh, whose dogs were destroyed. And it's not that you know, if you use a shock collar, you're going to wreck your dog, but you're not going to have a relationship with your dog. You're going to have either a robotic dog or you're going to have a dog who 
doesn't trust. And I, and I had actually somebody who had a an Akita, big, gorgeous Akita, but beautiful. And the dog literally ripped entire muscle groups off of a man. Like, it was horrible. Um, the man had his arm on the side of the car like he was in the passenger side. And the uh, the owner of the dog was um, was, you know, holding the dog. And the man must have just picked his arm up, and he was on, I think it was a Corvette or it was a very low car. So the man just lifted his arm up a little, like where the dog saw his hand, and the dog mauled him. They couldn't get the dog off of this man. It was, it was really scary. Um, I did rehabilitate that dog. That dog lived four more years because it was older already. The dog lived four more years. They hadn't had any more incidents. But the reason that happened is they used a shot collar. Dogs, when you use a shot collar or you're, or you're yanking, and I've seen there's a guy not too far away, and he, and I think I talked about this last week, he hangs dogs up. He holds them by a metal choker chain, hangs them up if they get aggressive or if they're not doing what he wants, and he just dangles them. Some of the police do that. That's why my husband didn't want to get involved in patrol anymore, even though we did it for, for years, because they wanted him to be very rough with the dog, and that wasn't how he was. You know, I always look at, if you have to get rough or loud or obnoxious or violent with a dog or with a person, then you're not very intelligent because if you can't reason it out, I mean, listen, let's face it, humans, we are at the top of the food chain. And we're the reason, the only reason we're on the top of the food chain is because we have brains. Well, some of us do. And if you use your brain, that's why you can kill another animal. That's why a person can kill a bear, not because the person is stronger than the bear, but because the person has a gun. And people, you know, whatever, better or for worse, people created guns. So it's the intelligence of you that is your best tool, your greatest opportunity to change that dog. So if you're resorting right away to violence, means you are a piss poor, as my husband used to say, piss poor dog trainer. You ought to go do something else. Like go, go, like, I don't know, go train alligators or something like that. Uh, if that's the way you're going to be, don't abuse an animal. If you're going to, you know, use, you know, punitive means for that, what kind of a human are you? I mean, who could actually do that? It's like a pedophile or like a sicko who, you know, does these terrible things to, you know, to a child or to a woman because they're victimizing them. And I think a lot of these people, uh, a few that I know certainly, um, and do not respect or like at all, um, I think they're just angry people. And there's those, those are those people who are just angry people. And I don't care if they, like, oh, wow, but he helps our dog great. But I can, you know, if, if you help one dog, but you're hurting another, then you're not good. Don't hurt any dog. Like, Dogs are, you know, they're precious. I mean, like you wouldn't hurt a child, hopefully. There are sick people who hurt children and rape children, do terrible, horrible, heinous things. So don't ever resort to tactics that, you know, are going to be things that you're going to feel like, well, I wouldn't let somebody do that to my kid. Well, somebody is doing something to your dog and you say, oh, I wouldn't let that happen to my child. Well, there's something wrong with you if you'd let them do it to a dog. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Okay, if it's if it's a bad thing, then it's a bad thing, no matter you, who you're doing it to. But what the goal is is the purpose to teach your dog what the purpose is. What is his purpose? Build up that trust and respect. Teach him that you know by doing the hunt, wait, eat. Teach him 
that you're leading him, you're taking him and, and providing for him and protecting him. And if you can do that and you can make sure that, you know, everything is all set up and you're all happy and healthy and all the things are good and, the, you know, the dog is listening, well, good. Then you go on to step two. Step two is energy. Your energy affects your dog's behavior. Yes, your energy. So if you are having a bad day and you come home, that dog is going to react. I I used to have that all the time because it's the same thing with horses. I would be teaching riding lessons, and I would have one client particularly, one of my people, uh, one of the people I trained, she would have, it was like an hour and a half long drive to get here from, from work at, at, you know, whatever, I think it was a Friday night. She would get there, and most of the time she was fine, but there were times I would hear her car door slam, or I'd hear the way she'd pull into the parking lot, and I would take her horse, put it outside so he could run around and play, and I would grab one of my lesson horses, and she would have a lesson where she was not using the reins, and she was not able to put her feet in the stirrups. And she would always complain, well, but I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, you're not fine. I can hear the way you come into the parking lot. What happened? Well, I got in a fender bender and this guy, and he cut me off. And I'm like, and you're going to get on the horse that I've spent two weeks retraining after your last time, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to wreck the horse again. So guess what? You're going riding one of my horses. You are going to chill yourself out. I'll give you Xanax. No, I didn't say that, but I, I felt it. And you will be able to ride one of my horses who you can't mess up. But I am not going to give you your horse who I've got all these nuances and then you're going to ruin it again. So our energy is so important. It's probably the most important thing of everything. If you're in a bad mood or if you're angry or you're anxious or you're frustrated or you're having a really bad day or you got fired or, you know, somebody's sick, or somebody died, and, you know, you've got all these worries, chances are pretty good that your dog, even if it's a, the dumbest dog in the world, your dog is going to be able to sense that in you. He's going to be able to feel that energy and feel that you are not a calm, confident individual, and he's going to develop behavioral issues. So when you come home, if you're all stressed from your drive and you know that that's not good, don't come right home and let your dog out immediately. Calm yourself down. Go in the other room. Grab a drink of soda or something. You know, do something else for a few minutes to just chill yourself out because I've had plenty of people who have ruined their dogs that were well-trained, well-behaved because they come home and it's, or, or the, my, the famous thing is, I have five minutes before I go back to work. So I'm going to work on this skill. And five minutes is not enough because if, what happens if you work on that? But you don't get it. And instead of it going well, it goes horribly wrong. And now you have to leave. Or let's say that the geniuses that work on crate training and they go, oh, my gosh, I forgot. i got to put the dog in the crate. Well, now, by the time you get stressed like that, that dog has already picked up on your energy. And now you're going to be taking the dog, and you're going to be basically taking the dog and putting the dog into the crate when you're upset. So what kind of energy is that imparting? Well, maybe that's why your dog doesn't want to go in the crate. 
maybe it's your energy when you put him in the crate that you're not giving him the um, the calmness, the confidence that, that he doesn't trust you because you're rushing. So anything that deviates from a calm, confident kind of, I got your back, we're all good, controlled energy, anything that deviates from that is seen as a weak or unstable energy. And dogs do not follow a weak or unstable leader. Like people will, oh my gosh, people will all day long. People follow any crackpot nut. Uh, you can say, hey, I found somebody. I, I know this person. Hey, it's the Pope. And the Pope is a really good guy. But, you know, I saw him, and, uh, and he was stealing stuff from the Vatican. I saw it myself. And there are dumb people who are going to go, really? That's why so many people get in trouble, because they're imbeciles and they follow anything. Think about what makes sense. Would you let your child... Your, let's say, toddler, or let's say your nonverbal child with autism, would you let that child go with somebody that you didn't 100% trust? I hope not, but you'll send your dog to somebody. I don't care if there are 5,000 people saying that somebody's good. I always look to make sure, and I will check and check and check, and I'll say to them, like, let's say you're going to drop your dog at a boarding train, and they go, oh, yeah, we do this. And you see German Shepherds and Labs. Well, guess what? If you have a sensitive dog, a German Shepherd or a Lab or a Roddy, you can get away with a lot more stuff because, I mean, gosh, you could, you know, hit these dogs in the head with a two-by-four. They go, I love you. But if you have an intelligent dog, a, a fearful dog, an anxious dog, or just a very perceptive and sensitive dog, and you put that dog into that situation... I don't care if they've saved everybody. My father had a great phrase. He used to say the, the uh, surgery was a success, but the patient died. And that's exactly it. Well, we've done, you know, 400 labs and they've all been great. Well, yes, but you don't take a Rhodesian Ridgeback because a Rhodesian Ridgeback is a really smart dog and they're very sensitive. So you don't take that dog or you don't take, you know, a dog who is a very, very smart dog and try to, you know, manhandle them because they, they'll know. I mean, my, listen, I breed Lipizzan horses as well. And um, I'll tell you, uh, I've seen, you know, some of these horses, they, I mean, they'll hold a grudge. They'll remember a person. And I've seen it with my show dogs where, you know, a handler who was particularly rough with my dogs, and I couldn't figure out why my show dogs were going out, and a couple of them had come back, um, and they were terrified. Um, and... You know, and then I found out that the man who was handling them, uh, this is many years ago, the man who was handling them was roughhousing. You know, it was like rough, very rough with them. Um, and it made sense. So I don't care if, if somebody says, well, that person is great. If you know different or if you know otherwise, like if everybody else is happy with it and goes to a surgeon, but the surgeon kills your person that you love, you don't care that the surgeon did so well with everybody else because your person died. So, you know, you have to look at it that the dogs are not able to tell us what they believe and what's happening to them. So when you pick up, and I hear it all the time, where people say, well, you know, I picked my dog up from doggy daycare, and she seemed like really skittish all of a sudden. And I don't know what happened. Well, guess what? Maybe your dog was attacked by another dog. Maybe... 
the person they're paying 10 bucks an hour with the squirt bottle with citronella was squirting your dog in the face. You know, if you notice that your dog is not trusting or is coming back differently, that's a problem. You know, every time we do a board and train, the dogs go back and, and people are like, oh my gosh, my dog was so much better. He was so well behaved, but he seems happier even. Well, yes, they're happy because they know what you expect of them. You have to understand that the dogs try. I mean, think about without any words, if somebody tried to teach you what the rules of a house were, and when you did something wrong, they hit you or squirt you in the face or shock you or do something terrible to you or throw something at you. And then when you do something that apparently they want, they just do nothing, right? Because you don't reward it. And then the dogs or the, or the person would be like so confused and they would lose trust. And that's what this is all about today, talking about trust and respect. You're not going to respect somebody you don't trust. You're not going to trust someone you don't respect. It goes hand in hand. And you have to give your dog clarity, clarity of understanding what do you want him to do? What do you expect? What do you want? And a lot of times you guys don't even know what you want. If you tell the dog to sit, don't, I mean, I, I laugh at obedience trainers. Like They'll be like, sit, 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 good sit, or good boy. And they'll say, is that, you have to say sit six times to make him sit once? Well, no, but when he sat, I told him he was a good boy. But good boy doesn't mean anything. I actually did a Freudian slip there. When you're teaching your dog to do something and your dog sits, don't say good boy. What does good boy mean? It means nothing or good girl. Good sit. When you're teaching your dog how to lie down and your dog lies down, good down. When you're teaching your dog to wait, good wait. Don't say good with boy because boy means nothing good and whatever it is that the dog has done. Start communicating with your dog like he's a dog. Because guess what? He's a dog. So if you're communicating with a dog like he's a person, then why are you concerned and why are you thinking, well, gee, why doesn't my dog know this? Listen, when we were born and we were eight weeks old, we couldn't wipe ourselves or hold our heads up. Seriously. So for a dog to come into your house, it wants to please you. Most dogs just want to know what the heck are you asking them. Be clear. Give your dog clarity. Give your dog the gift of knowing what the rules are. That's what I do in my book, Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101. Get it on Amazon. It's less than $10. It'll be the best thing you ever do because you'll start understanding what your dog is thinking. Give him an understanding of what you want. Don't be mad at him that he doesn't understand. He's just a dog. Teach him. Don't train him. Teach him. And once you start building up the confidence in the dog, in you, once the dog starts feeling like, oh, I'm okay, I'm safe. I'm not going to be hurt here. Then your dog is going to start working really better for you, a lot better, because now he's starting to understand what it is you're even asking. And that is one of the most beautiful things in the world when that starts happening. When you have a dog 
who is understanding what you want him to do, that's service dog level. That's really pretty cool stuff when you get that. But in order to get that, you've got to be able to understand what the dog does, and you've got to be able to help that dog to kind of get the the gist of what you're saying and not by hitting or screaming or by zapping or by, you know, any other punitive method. It's positive, and it's not that you have to give the dog treats. You know, people don't understand what positive reinforcement is. They think it's treats or clicker, positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement, negative and positive, think of electricity. Positive means that it's something that is moving towards a good end. Negative means it's moving towards a bad end. So if positive reinforcement does not have to be with a cookie, with a clicker, doesn't have to be that. And negative, right, doesn't have to be punitive that you're like zapping the dog or hitting the dog or smashing the dog or throwing something at the dog or squirting the dog. But there is negative and positive in everything. So if the dog, let's say, has his butt on the ground and he just happens to sit, tell him, good sit, if you're training obedience. Good sit, good sit. And he goes, I don't know what sit is, but I'm good. And then he does it again. He's good sit, good sit. Then they go, I don't know what sit is. And then the third time he sits and you go, good sit. And he goes, oh, if I put my butt on the ground, you tell me I'm good. So sit must mean put my butt on the ground. That's what I do. I don't make them do something. I catch them doing something good that I want. I give it a name. And then now the dog knows. And if the dog is biting, don't say no bite. You're going to correct the dog by taking his space away because if a dog bites or if a dog jumps, you're, he's taking your space away. All you have to do is go the other way and you take his space away. So that's why I said read my book. If you have, you know, you need help, you have a dog with a big behavioral issue, you can call us at 855-449-9288. You can call us at Hi Wyatt. It's 855-HI-WYATT. And it's, you know, we're going to help you with that. It's, it's really important, though, that everybody tries to understand that our dogs are trying, okay? Don't get frustrated with them. They are trying. They are just dogs. Be frustrated with yourself because I don't have a problem communicating with dogs and fixing 35,000 dogs with behavioral issues. I got the best dogs in the world. I don't have a problem communicating, but then again, I'm very good at communicating. So if you have a problem with a dog, either you or whoever you rescued the dog from, if it's a rescue, had a problem communicating with them. Teach your dog using his language and understanding why he's doing that. It's not that he's trying to be bad. He's just not clear because you are not a good teacher in that moment. Be a better teacher, be a better owner, and be a good you. Well, it looks like today we're done again. I don't know. Time flies when you're having fun. Please, everyone, be safe. Stay COVID safe. Make sure you're good to other people. You're good to your own animals. Be kind. Don't lie, cheat, steal. And I'll see you here next week. Have a wonderful weekend. 